Hey, have you ever had this experience in life? You bump into somebody that looks like somebody that you know, or that you knew, but you're not 100% sure it's the same person. For instance, the guy that you bump into at the movie theater claims to be your old college buddy, Joe. Now, you haven't seen him in years. You remember Joe weighed 280 pounds. This guy looks like he weighs 145 soaking wet. And not only that, but your old college buddy, Joe, every time you went to the movies with him, he would order a big tub of hot, buttery popcorn and an extra large Coke and not the diet kind either. But this guy, he's holding a bag of carrot sticks and a Dasani water. Is this really Joe? Or the lady at the grocery store, she excitedly sees you, greets you, and tells you that 20 years ago, she was your next-door neighbor. Now, it kind of looks like Sally, but Sally was a long-haired brunette. This lady has shoulder-length red, red hair. Now, how do you know for sure it's her short of asking to see her driver's license? It's a little bit of an unsettling experience, right? Now, if you've ever had that experience, you're going to be able to relate to a crowd of people that we meet in John chapter 9. Now, for those of you who are joining us for the very first time, as a church, we're working our way through a book in the Bible called John. John is a biography of the life of Jesus, and it's written by one of his closest friends. And one of the reasons this man, John, decided, I'm going to write down some of the things that Jesus said and some of the things that Jesus did, is because I want everybody to come to the realization that Jesus was incredibly special, that he was a person worth devoting your entire life to. Now, there are so many things in the life of Jesus that could have been recorded, but John just picks and chooses, and he says, hey, listen, these are some of the things that I want you to know about. In fact, if I were to write everything down, it would fill every library. And so here are some key stories, some key accounts that have the potential to change who you believe Jesus is, and it can change your life as well. So in John chapter 9, we're introduced to a crowd and they spot a man that looks a lot like a guy they used to know. In fact, this particular guy was a beggar in their community. Now, that makes sense that you recognize certain beggars, right? There are certain people in this community right here in Campbell that I see on a regular basis that if I were to bump into them someplace else, I would say, yeah, I, I recognize you. I know you. I, I know which corner you're usually on when you're, you're begging. And that's the case with this particular individual, but they're not 100% sure it's the same guy. Now, why is that? Is it because he's lost weight? Is it because he's changed his hairstyle? No, it's much more significant than that. The beggar that they knew that this guy looks like was blind, but this guy appears to have 20-20 vision. Now, surely it's not the same guy, right? I mean, in the ancient world, it was a common experience for people to go blind because of a poor hygiene and lack of medical treatments, but nobody regained their sight, especially a guy like this who had been blind since the day he was born. And so part of the crowd is saying there's an uncanny resemblance to the guy that we knew who begged, who was blind, but there's no way it can be him. And then there's another part of the crowd that's saying, no, no, I, I'm pretty sure it's the exact same guy. Now, who's right? 
Well, the guy whose identity is in question is quick to answer that, and he just insists, I'm the exact same guy. I'm the person that was blind, that you saw begging, that, that's me. And it prompts this question from the crowd, as you would anticipate, how then were your eyes opened? This doesn't make any sense to us. There's not treatment for this. This doesn't happen. How were your eyes opened? And in a nutshell, his response is this. I met a guy by the name of Jesus. Prior to meeting Jesus, no doubt, this guy anticipated that he would live his entire life as a blind beggar. That's what he had always been since the day he was born, blind. In a society, society that wasn't exactly handicap friendly, begging is what he would need to do just to survive. And so for him to think his life would ever be different than what it was, that would have been a little bit foolish. And perhaps that's how some of you feel about your life. You are who you are. It's who you've always been. Life is what it is. It will never change. And for you to believe anything will ever be different is wishful thinking at best, if not downright foolish, right? Wrong. Wrong. This story impresses upon us that Jesus is in the business of doing what nobody sees coming. That by the end of this story, this guy who believed just assumed that the only color that he would ever see in life was black is now seeing the world in high-def color. And I believe one of the reasons that John says, hey, out of all these stories that I could share with you about the life of Jesus, I'm choosing this one. I want this one to be in my biography is because he wants you to know that Jesus can bring about this same type of healing in your life and in this world that he did then. You say, okay, but how? Well, healing begins with being open to an encounter with Jesus. And that's one thing this blind man definitely was open to, was an encounter with Jesus. John chapter 9, verse 6, it says this, after saying this, he, speaking of Jesus, spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. All right, a few weeks ago, we saw a man come to Jesus and say, I've got a sick boy who's who's a ways away from him, but I'm really hoping you'll heal him. And Jesus did what? He just spoke a word. He said, your son's healed, and the boy was healed. I mean, he was on death's doorstep, and he was healed just like that when Jesus spoke a word. So why in the world does Jesus decide to spit on the ground, make a mud pie, and slap it on this guy's eyes? That seems kind of gross to me. I don't know about you. And so why in the world would he do this? I don't know exactly. I have read some who say this, that in the ancient world, there were people who believed that the saliva of certain people held medicinal power. Now, that seems kind of silly, right? 
It, it does to me until you think about some women today. They seem to believe, mothers and wives, that their saliva has super glue power that can hold down any stray hair, of head, uh, hair on your head, right? Have you ever had that experience where your, your mom looks over and sees that hair going this way and she just licks her hand real good and gets it soggy and then reaches for your head, right? It's gross, and what do we do in those moments? We kind of back away, right, and hold up our hands and say, please, no, and she slaps them down until she wipes that hair down where she wants it, but we recoil, and, and this man doesn't seem to do that. He doesn't recoil at the touch of Jesus. He doesn't question Jesus' power. He doesn't insist on Jesus explain himself. He doesn't criticize Jesus' method. He is completely open to Jesus. And this is where healing begins. It begins with being completely open to who Jesus is, what he desires to do in your life, and his method for accomplishing his will. However, open is what many are not, they don't tend to be open. Why is that? Well, there are different reasons, a lot of reasons we could talk about this morning. I'm going to mention just a few from this text that I think I see here. One reason is this, is that there's just this fear of what you might lose if you go all in on Jesus. That was true of this blind man's parents. When they're given the opportunity to speak openly about what Jesus has done in their son's life, they choose just to kind of play dumb. We continue the story in John chapter 9, verse 18 through 23. They, speaking of the religious leaders, did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? Here's their answer. We know he is our son. The parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. Now listen to this. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Listen, these two weren't getting any votes for parents of the year, were they? They just rolled their son under the bus without even thinking twice. Now why would they do that? I mean, would you do that to your kid? Why would they do that? Here's why, because there was a whole lot to lose if they said anything positive about Jesus. What, what might they lose? Well, John tells us very straight. He says they were in danger of being booted out of the synagogue. You might be thinking, well, what's the big deal? So they don't have to attend a worship service. They don't have to endure a long, boring sermon. That kind of appeals to me right now, right? You might be thinking that. And if that's all there was to it, okay, maybe. But there was so much more at stake here. To be kicked out of the synagogue meant that you no longer had a place in and among your community. You, you, you lost it all. And that was a price, as far as they were concerned, that was way too high to be open to Jesus in his power. And it's the same fear of losing, losing your reputation, losing a relationship, losing your place 
It keeps many of us from going all in on Jesus. And the truth is, being open to Jesus, it may cost you something. And just ask this blind man. Because at the end, he's the one that's booted out of the synagogue. He loses his place in and among the community. But I'm absolutely confident that if he were here to testify this morning to us, he would say this, you know what? Everything that I gained in Jesus was worth everything that I lost. And so many of you could say the exact same thing. And so fear can get in the way, but let me mention something else. Religion can get in the way of people having an encounter with Jesus or coming to him. And it sounds odd, but... The religious leaders, many of them missed out on being open to Jesus because of religion. John chapter 9, verse 13 through 14, then verse 16, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. I want you to think about that for just a moment. The Son of God, the Messiah, the one who can change their lives is in their midst, but they are so focused on rules and rituals that they miss out on having an encounter with Jesus. And the very same thing can happen to us. The very same thing. We can get so focused on doing things the way that we've always done things, or we can get so focused on maybe some belief that we've held on to a, for a long, long time. Maybe we're not even sure why we've held that belief. It's just there. We've held on to it, and we miss out on actually encountering Jesus and experiencing the amazing things that He desires to do in our life. Listen. Our worship can be perfect, but if we don't encounter Jesus, we've done it all wrong. Our sight must be set on Jesus, not simply doing a religion. And any religion that does not have Jesus as the center will miss him. So make sure your religion doesn't get in the way of meeting Jesus. And then too often pride gets in the way. I want you to listen to the words that Jesus spoke to the Pharisees in John chapter 9, beginning verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. And some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you'd not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Here's this point. Those who are, uh, are blind, who realize they're blind, who know that they need Jesus, they will be given sight. But those who believe that they can see that they've got life all figured out, that they're in control, that they don't need anyone else, they're going to remain blind or in their sin. What's he saying? He's saying humility is one of, if not the keys, to experiencing Jesus' miraculous power in your life. Unless you know you need Him, you'll never experience the work that He desires to do. As long as you want to continue to pretend that you've got life under control, that you can do all things well and right, 
you're going to be in a mess. You're going to be blind. It's when you come to the realization that my life is a wreck, my life is a mess without Jesus, that you'll truly begin to see. I read a tweet not too long ago that I thought, in my mind at least, from a preaching perspective, I guess it captured the humility that I think that it requires to encounter Jesus on a regular basis. This is what the person wrote. A prideful person hears a sermon and says, I've heard that a hundred times before. Maybe what some of you are thinking this morning. A humble person responds to the same sermon by saying, I guess that's a sermon I needed to hear again. It's in humility that we come into Jesus' presence and say, teach me more, show me more, open my eyes. Healing begins with being open to an encounter with Jesus, but it also requires obedience. Verse 6 and 7 of John 9, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, the sword means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. The one sent by God sent this man to the pool called Sense with zero guarantee that he would be healed. But this man chose to obey. And because he obeyed, his sight was restored. I'm not going to spend much time on this point because I harp on this truth often in sermons. But just hear it briefly one more time is that healing begins with a step of faith. It begins with a step of faith. There's zero guarantee of what might happen, but you still take that step. And yes, there are times to wait in faith, but more often than not, we must move forward. We must act in faith. The healing that some of us desire, it hasn't happened, not because we don't believe it, not because we're not convinced that we need to to do something. It's simply because we haven't yet taken that step of faith. As I think about this man washing his eyes in the pool of Siloam, I'm, I'm also just kind of reminded of the importance of being washed in the baptismal waters. Baptism is a mystery in so many ways. Maybe it doesn't make sense to some of you. But all through Scripture, we're reminded of this truth that it is an act of obedience that results in new life because of the power of Jesus Christ. Just over and over and over, we see this. Romans chapter 6, verse 4, one place, beautiful passage. We were therefore buried with him through baptism and to death in order that... Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Isn't that beautiful? Paul says you life, you want new life, you want changed life, you want life in Jesus. Believe it, believe it with all your heart, believe in the power of Christ, act in faith as well. Share in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. And it really brings us to what I believe is at the heart of this whole story. It's this moment when the disciples initially see this blind beggar, and it it raises a theological question for them. The theological question is this, John chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, as he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, 
this man or his parents, that he was born blind. So many of you know this, but a common belief in the ancient world was if you have an illness, if you have a disability, it's a direct result of a sin that your dear old mom or dad or grandpa committed or, or maybe that you committed when, when you were in the womb even. It's so interesting how different our cultures are today. There are many who question, is the fetus a living human being? But in the ancient world, evidently, they believe not only was it a living human being, that it had the ability to have inappropriate thoughts or curse, I don't know, but they thought the fetus could actually sin, and it would have a direct impact upon your health and well-being. Now, Jesus comes along, and very quickly, he says, you know what? Sin doesn't have anything to do with this guy's blindness. Verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. Now, in some cases, sin does result in physical harm, but in this case, that's not the case whatsoever. He's not blind because he sinned or somebody else sinned. He's blind because he lives in a, a world that's broken because of the fall. But make no mistake, this guy was a sinner. I mean, the Pharisees were pretty on target when he said, they said, you've been steeped in sin at birth. We're all steeped in sin at birth, or at least shortly after. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. That's why Jesus came. He came to open our eyes to our sinful condition and at the same time to help us recognize that He is the one and only one who can bring healing to our lives. And so not only did He give this man physical sight, but He did something far more important for him. He helped this blind man see the spiritual reality that He is the one, that Jesus is the one who came to rescue him. Now, initially, this man was blind to that fact. Initially, this man thought, well, Jesus is just another man like anybody else. And then his eyes become a little bit open, and he says, no, he's a prophet, because who else could do a miracle like this? But then he gets to a point, he says, no, 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 I know who this guy is. Now, my eyes are fully open. He is the Lord. He is the one who's been sent by God to deliver his people. And I want you to notice what he does when he comes to this realization, John chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said this, you've now seen him. Your eyes are open. You've now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus is forever worthy of worship because of who He is. He is Lord. He's worthy of worship because of what He came to do. He came to heal you and He came to heal me just like He did this man in this story. And if you're in need of healing today, I want to encourage you to turn to Jesus. I want to encourage you to be open to Jesus, because He has the power to heal you physically and emotionally and relationally and spiritually in every way that you can think of. Now, will He heal you in all of those different ways that I just mentioned this morning? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. In fact, sometimes He chooses not to. 
Again, it's completely beyond my understanding, but I, I know that's the case. I go back to another follower of Jesus by the name of Apostle Paul, and for a season of his life, he had what in Scripture just calls a thorn in his flesh. Now, what was this thorn? We don't know for sure. There's a lot of speculation by different people. Some people say it was a physical ailment. Maybe it was a condition with his eyes in which he couldn't see very well. Other people say, no, the thorn in the flesh was a temptation. Don't know for sure. What I do know for sure is this, is it was overwhelming for him because he cried out to God on at least three occasions, will you please take this thorn out of my life? Will you just get rid of it? And maybe many of you here this morning feel the exact same way. Will you please take it away? I've been dealing with this for a long time. I'm tired of it. I'm overwhelmed by it. I want it to go away. Jesus didn't do it. But he didn't leave this man blind as to why that was in his life. In fact, listen to the testimony of Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 9. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. There may be some ailments that you do deal with, probably will be, some physical, some emotional. There may be some temptations that you wrestle with, and you'll wrestle with them, you'll deal with those ailments for the rest of your days this side of heaven. It's not fun, it's not pleasant, but I hope our eyes will be open this morning to realize that because of the grace of Jesus Christ, He can use those very things to strengthen and grow our faith, to give us much clearer spiritual vision if we'll simply trust in Him and continue to follow Him rather than resent what's taking place in our life. And I don't mean to downplay in any way some of the things that you deal with on a regular basis. I know it is really, really hard stuff but I know my Jesus is faithful. Now, I say all that, and I also want to say, but don't ever doubt that Jesus can heal you, because He can. A couple of weeks ago, I introduced you to some friends who are here who are visiting from Naperville, Illinois, uh, Bob and Michelle Perkins. Bob and Michelle grew up in a Catholic home, but when I first met them, faith was not really a part of their life. Their son, Adam, who's the same age as my oldest son, Turner, started coming to church on a regular basis with my boys, and he'd come to worship service, and he'd do some of the youth group activities, and just kind of became a part of what we were doing. And eventually, Bob and Michelle decided, well, if our kid's going in there and kind of hanging out there, we probably ought to check it out, what's going on as well. And so they started showing up. And about a year later, Turner baptized Michelle into Jesus Christ, and I had the privilege of baptizing Bob into Christ. Michelle will tell you, shortly after making that decision, that people at the school where she taught at began to say things like this, Michelle, what, what's going on with you? 
Like you are so much happier than you used to be. And Michelle will also testify that Jesus has so changed Bob's life that he's almost unrecognizable to his closest family members. Jesus changed their life. He not only changed them spiritually by taking away their sin, but he's brought about emotional and relational healing in their family. And he can do the exact same thing in your life as well. The question is this, will you be open to an encounter with Jesus? If you are this morning and you're saying, yes, I want the healing power of Jesus, maybe it's for a physical, relational, emotional, that type of ailment, I want to encourage you in just a moment. We're going to stand and sing a song together. Our shepherds and their spouses will be gathered around the auditorium. You can make your way to them. They'll pray with you and over you. Again, it's no guarantee that those things will change immediately. But I think by just humbling ourselves and saying, Jesus, we need you, some very good things are going to take place, at least within your spirit and within your life. And so I want to encourage you uh, to pray with them. Perhaps you're here this morning, though, and your eyes have been opened, and you recognize, you know what, I have sin in my life that's never been dealt with, and I need Jesus. He's the only one that can take that sin away. And I'm ready, I'm ready to commit my life to Christ in baptism. We want you to know this morning, we would love to assist you in that, in making that decision. You will die to your old self, and you will rise to be a whole new creature, creation in Jesus Christ. If you're ready to take that step as well, please let us know, and we'd love to celebrate with you.